doesn't seem to have any central nervous system. Then how does it move? All plants move. And they don't usually pull themselves out of the ground and chase you. Eventually, we'll all be plant food. I'm Joe Fulgham. When it comes to suicide plants, leave me out of it. I'm Torin Atkinson. Giant hogweed makes a blister in the sun. I'm Kevin Leeson, and this is Caustic Soda. There is a Latin word, plantare, which yeah. means to drive in with the feet or push into the ground with the feet. Okay. Oh, that's, so that's to plant. That's the verb planting. And it's like plantar warts. Right. Mm-hmm. And that became the word for plants. Okay. At some point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it wasn't just about planting something, but the thing that came out was also a plant. There was a verb and a noun. Yeah. They're, yeah okay. they're shoving those seeds in there with a the heel. Yep. Botanophobia is the fear of plants. Okay. From Greek, botanikos. A plant, grass, pasture, or fodder. I I definitely admit to being freaked out by Venus flytrap when I first saw it. Mm, really? It's a freaky plant. I think before I saw it, I would see the ads in comic books for them. Right. Right. Meat-eating plants. And you could order yeah. them, and they would send them to you. Uh, so I was excited before I Were you ever tempted to order that and the sea monkeys and feed one to the other? <laughs> That's a good idea. No, but I wish I had. I have on occasion owned both. Oh, okay. I have had sea monkeys, and they worked. Yep. Brine shrimp. Brine shrimp. Yep. Yeah, neat. Uh, and I uh, I did have a, uh, a Venus flytrap, and I would just put uh, beef in it. Did it ever okay. say, feed me, Joe? <laughs> no, I really wanted it to. It turned um, out to be a lot more boring than you'd think. Hylophobia? Oh. Xylophobia? Wylophobia? What? All come from the Greek hylos, a wood or a forest. Right. And dendrophobia, Greek for tree. That's the fear of trees. As opposed to the fear of white flaky stuff on your scalp. Yeah. That's dandrophobia. Mm-hmm. Dandrophobia, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, we're going to be talking about plants that are harmful to animals and humans, but this is not the poisons or toxicity episodes. No, we've done plenty of those. There's definitely going to be some toxic poison aspects to some of the stuff we're talking about, but yeah. primarily we're avoiding those. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Not, this isn't just like eat a berry and you die. Yeah. This is more caustic than that. It has right. to be a berry that crawls into your mouth and makes you eat it. That's right. <laughs> you die. Right. Yeah. And remember, mushrooms and other fungi are not plants. Oh, they're they're molds. They're fungus. Yep. As discussed in our fungus episode. Got it. And now some of the plants we'll discuss are accidentally dangerous. Oh, okay. Others are dangerous by design. Mm-hmm. Quote, unquote, design. Intelligent yeah. design. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> I'd like to thank uh, Daniel Hiald. I thought for one second you were going to thank God. I'd like to thank God and Daniel Hiald uh-huh. for designing all these dangerous plants. Mm-hmm. For designing uh, some of the research. Got it. On this okay. episode. And he says, Australian trees don't shed leaves in winter. They drop whole branches in summer. Because it's so goddamn hot. It's like, oh, God, I got to lose a branch. This regularly kills people underneath the tree at the time. Mm-hmm. The tree reduces water loss and, as a nice bonus, gets free fertilizer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. The bunya bunya pine can drop pine cones from o- that are over a foot long from 40 meters up. Wow. wow. Like a football. Yeah. Made yeah. of wood. 
Yeah, that uh, that's like a rugby ball. A rugby ball would like hit you and actually replace your head. It would knock your head, clean up your shoulders, <laughs> that's right. no, and it you would shove your head down into your chest. That's right, and you would have a pine cone for a head, after leaving that. only your your eyes to blink a couple blink, times. Blink, and they would yeah. make that noise just like in a cartoon every time you did blink. Yeah. Now I would remember being warned about here in North America about widowmakers, which was basically if a branch were to fall off a tree and then land on more branches and just kind of be up there. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was the kind of branch that could then just break free of what's holding it and land on you and kill you. Cause the yeah. one that would come off the tree would take a while it would crack and fall and right? Right. it wouldn't totally just drop. But the one that mm-hmm. had been up there for a while could very easily just fall off for whatever reason, hit you on the head and kill you. And they called those widow makers. Okay. So even regular trees already deadly. Yeah. Right. Right. These aren't even the killer trees. Yeah. And we're not counting it. If you carve it into a spear, and then yes, we'll you know, run someone through any t- anything that's any deadly apparatus that made that is made of wood. Right. We will be talking. about Oh, okay, in this great, episode. perfect, yep. got it. But first, kelp. Each kelp. Year, each... I need somebody. Kelp. kelp, not just anybody. Kelp, no, I need someone. Kelp. Each year in California, several divers drown due to becoming entangled in kelp. Oh. Right, uh-huh. right. In 2000, off the coast of California, Enrique Vasquez, a scuba diver with 10 years of diving experience and a full tank of air, became tangled in kelp and drowned. You know, I've I've been out swimming and had, like, kelp sort of wrap around my legs or whatever. Oh, my I God. Just, yeah, you know, if you just don't panic, mm-hmm. kind of, like, unwrap yourself, you right. know, to, it's not that big a deal, right? Most divers, when tangled with kelp, manage to wiggle out of their gear or cut away the confining seaweed before drowning. Mm-hmm. After spending about 30 minutes in the kelp-choked water near Silver Strand Beach, the Ventura electrician surfaced long enough to call for help. The friend who went with him tried to throw Vasquez a rope, and a bystander entered the water to help. Right. But the bystander couldn't make it, and Vasquez drowned less than an hour after he entered the water. He drowned six feet from the surface. Mm. Just couldn't... So- Get up. Right, but was he scuba diving or was he just swimming? He was scuba diving. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, but, uh, but what about, you, you've got gear. You've got, like, oxygen and whatnot. No? That's that's why he drowned an hour after. Oh, he okay. Was, he was stuck out. using up that air six feet underwater for that long. I guess there was just more kelp. Does more kelp kept yeah, coming? It, it, yeah. it happens. And the freaking out about it probably doesn't help you pr- preserve well, yeah. your oxygen. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah, I'm stuck. Now I'm really stuck. Ah! And then you scream, and yeah. all of a sudden you've opened your mouth and you're drowning anyway. Right. Now, carnivorous plants mm-hmm. are plants that derive some or most of their nutrients from, from carnivals. From carnivals. Yeah. Yeah. From my, uh, you know, um, bearded ladies and... Strongmen. Uh, from trapping and consuming animals or protozoans, typically insects and right. other arthropods. Mm-hmm. Carnivorous plants have adapted to grow in places with a, a high light where the soil is thin or poor in nutrients, especially right. nitrogen. Okay. So they're not getting energy. They are getting energy from the sun, but they need, also need nitrogen, which plants normally get from the soil. Right. Mm-hmm. But these live in like bogs and shit where the soil is, is terrible. Right. Mm. Got it. So quick pop quiz. Okay. How many recognized species of carnivorous plants are there? Recognized species of carnivorous plants. Uh, how many plants are in the world? How many recognized species of, uh, in total? Of plants? Yeah. I'm going to say millions. Millions. Okay. So let's say 2 million of all plants. So how many of them are carnivorous? 1.8 million. Interesting. Wow. Interesting. Yeah. I think that they're all gunning for us. They're all, they all want to get a taste <laughs> oh, of I human. See. They're all technically carnivorous because eventually we die and turn into the soil that yeah, they eat. Yeah, oh, okay. exactly. Uh, I think carnivorous means a little more than that, but I don't know. I, I was going to say like 500. I don't know. 750, more than 750, actually. Oh, okay. There you go. 
Uh, so I didn't win. You didn't did win not win. No. The okay. one question pop quiz. Got it. Sorry. Mm-hmm. That's right. Yeah. Yep. Joe got 100%. Mm-hmm. There are five basic trapping mechanisms found in carnivorous plants. Mm-hmm. Okay. There is the pitfall trap. Right. Uh, as seen in pitcher plants. So this oh. is where they fall into this mixture and then they get stuck because it's kind of syrupy or whatever. And then that, that liquid is like stomach acid and it digests them. Yeah, mm-hmm. they trap prey in a rolled leaf that contains a pool of digestive enzymes or bacteria. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, Nepenthes raja is probably the largest carnivorous plant by volume. Okay. The pitchers or leaf urns can grow up to 41 centimeters high and 20 centimeters wide. Oh, wow. That's big. These are capable of holding three and a half liters of water and an excess of two and a half liters of digestive fluid. Ants make up the majority of prey. Right. As they are attracted to the nectar that the, that the plant produces. Got it. However, there are observations that on uh, on occasion in the wild, rats have been trapped by this species, as well as lizard, frogs, and birds. Oh. And we'll put some uh, images of a trapped rat in a pitcher plant. It is big. There's yeah, no doubt about it. Is it. A, like it's... it is big. And also, get shrews. There's one, at least really? one species of plant where shrews will go and lick the top leaf. Of the plant during the daytime. Mm-hmm. Okay. And underneath it is this big pitcher bowl. Yeah. It's like right. a toilet bowl. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so the uh, plant supplements its uh, diet with poo because right. <laughs> right. the shrew will be sitting on the rim and just dump it away. Bowl, just peeing and pooing yeah. while it's licking the top of the pitcher plant. Well, I guess when you're a pitcher plant, like pitchers can't be choosers. Pitchers can't be choosers. Yeah, that's right. No, it's whatever mm-hmm. falls in. That's that, what you're going to eat. That's what you're going to eat. Nom, 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 nom. So there's... So it's, that's... it's basically like going to Uncle Willie's buffet. <laughs> you can't choose. Yeah. yeah, that's right. And it's all kind of garbage. It's all sort of <laughs> shitty. And whatever just falls on your plate it's, is what it's you It's the eat. leftovers from the people who paid for the real food. Yeah, yeah, precisely. So that's the pitfall trap okay. uh, motif. Then mm-hmm. there's the flypaper traps. All right. Mm-hmm. These use a sticky mucilage. Mm-hmm. Flypapers have evolved independently at least five times. Makes sense. Like uh, a plant, plants often ha- have stickiness to them in, yep. in some way. The goop inside them, right? And then all you need is for that to become a slight advantage, and that would then become mm-hmm. a thing that that plant. Does. Now, when they stick to these plants, do the, the, they start to digest them like on the surface of it, or do they like you yep. know dip it into something? No, they else don't put or? it in anything else. They just like uh, you'll see one will just like kind of like roll up. And on all the little strands, I think it's the sundew. Yeah, it'll roll mm-hmm. up around the uh, carcass fly or whatever, yeah. mm-hmm. and they just yum, 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 yum. good times. Then you have the snap traps, like the Venus fly trap. Yep, uh huh. They utilize rapid leaf movements, uh, and also the aquatic water wheel trap, which is basically kind of like an underwater Venus fly trap. Got it. The snapping of the leaves uh, is a case of thigmanasty. Thigmanasty. Okay. Thigmanisty, right. which is undirected movement in response to touch. Okay. Further stimulation of the lobe's internal surfaces by the struggling insects caused the lobes to close even tighter. Mm-hmm. Are you sure it's not thigh mastery and Suzanne Summers is somehow involved? It might be. I might mm-hmm. be mispronouncing it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Sealing the lobes hermetically and forming a stomach in which digestion occurs over a period of one to two weeks. Forming a stomach. You yeah. form a, Don't bring the fly to the stomach. Bring the stomach to the fly. Yeah. Oh, mm-hmm. interesting. Exactly. 
don't know if I'd like to form my stomach around my food. Like you sit there at your cactus club or whatever, and you just like you know they bring you the duck clubhouse and you. Oh, just, well, you like, you put your hands out. Yeah, they put your food in your hands, and you closed your hands over the food mm-hmm. and right. sit there for two weeks. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it slowly gets digested, and then finally you get the nutrients. Yeah. I like my food hot though, so I'm I'm not good for this. I, I don't want to be this kind of. So thing. just put it in your mouth, yeah. and then just let it sit there in the mouth. Just. Mm. Mm, well, that, uh, that, what can possibly go wrong? <laughs> you got your bladder traps. They suck in prey with a bladder that generates an internal vacuum. Now they create a trap because I keep asking to uh, pull over for oh, yeah. uh, for bathroom got break. A small bladder. Yeah. Their largest prey are water fleas, mosquito larvae, tadpoles, and fish fry. Okay. Despite their small size, the traps are extremely sophisticated. In the active Ooh. traps of the aquatic species, prey brush against trigger hairs connected to the trap door. The bladder, when set, is under negative pressure in relation to its environment, so that right. when the trap door is mechanically triggered, the prey, along with water surrounding it, is sucked into the bladder. Mm-hmm. Got it. Once the bladder is full of water, the door closes, the whole process taking only 10 to 15 thousandths of a second. Wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah, when, when you do have to pee, you have to pee in a hurry. And finally, the lobster pot traps. Lobster pot traps. It's very specific. Also known as eel traps. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, Like a man-made lobster trap, a lobster pot trap is a chamber that is easy to enter and whose exit is either difficult to find or obstructed by inward-pointing bristles. Got it. Spines. Mm -hmm. Corkscrew plants are an example. They They eat aquatic protozoa. Got it. The sundew species Drosera glandulicular... Grand, grand glanduligura employs a unique trapping mechanism with features of both flypaper and snap traps. Okay. This has been termed a catapult flypaper trap. A catapult flypaper trap. Is there a video of this one? This is, sounds interesting. The sundew drosera glanduligura. Okay, because I want to see this. Catapult flypaper trap. A catapult flypaper trap. Oh, yeah. Nope. Kind of like Ding. whips it right to the center. So it walked onto it's a, not, an it's not a slow thing. And it just went like that. Catapults it right to the eating zone, I guess. Ah, uh, I see, I see. So it's got like uh, these little sort of like fingers mm-hmm. that are on the outside. Catapults. And they, I mean, listen, I know technically <laughs> that's catapulting, but it was, I was expecting it to be a little grander. <laughs> Whee! Yeah, yeah, precisely. I expected to have something just a pretty sweet. And that was, you were disappointed by the tininess. I was po- disappointed by the tininess of it. Well, if you were a small mite, right? I think you'd be impressed. Oh, okay. All right. So it's all just a matter of perspective. Yeah. You know, there's a plant called the giant hogweed. Right. Right. Yeah. Right. right. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's what uh, some guys call their penis. The giant hogweed? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Out there to lure in the ladies, catapult them into your uh, <laughs> compromising position. Uh, the... Latin term is Heracleum mantagazianum. Oh, okay. Oof. Wow, that's yep. that one. Uh, also known as hogsbane or giant cow parsley. Yum. Is it the parsley that's giant or is it the I think the parsley cow? is I think the parsley is giant. All right. Not the cow. Not. Uh, this plant typically grows to two to five meters high. Woo! Which is, you know, five to twelve feet. That's a, no, that's it's a, more than 12 feet. That's a big weed. Five meters? Five meters is like 12 15 feet. 15 feet. Yeah. It's about three oh, feet. 15 feet. You're right, right. Uh, a giant hogweed is native to the Caucasus region and Central Asia. It was introduced to Britain as an ornamental plant in the 19th century and has spread to many other parts of Europe, right. the United States and Canada. Uh, while many plants are toxic by ingestion, 
the sap of the giant hogweed is phototoxic. Mm. When the contacted skin is exposed to sunlight or to ultraviolet, it can cause phytophotodermatitis. Phytophotodermatitis. So, mm-hmm. yeah, so it's like planty, sunny, sunny skinny, skin atitis. Right. A severe skin inflammation. Okay. Almost immediately, the sap reacts with the sun and starts a chemical reaction that burns the skin and tissue, Ooh. leading to necrosis and the formation of massive purple lesions that may last for years. Oh, my goodness. Wow. Ugh. We have, we have some uh, photos of these. All right. We'll post this on talk, uh, CausticSodaPodcast.com. Oh, those oh are huge my God. Oh, those, <laughs> those hands oh. are completely swollen. And then on top of the swollen and red hands like are giant pustules. huge blisters. So this is just somebody from touching the giant hogweed? Yep. They just like, do they try and pick it? Uh, Maybe. Try and like push through it like bushwhacking, like in the jungle. This is a 10-year-old child. This person's hands are in really rough shape. Ooh. Uh, even more terrifying is the potential of a minute amount of sap to cause permanent blindness right. upon eye contact. Ooh. Pigs, however, huh. are immune. Oh, hence the name hogweed. Oh, I never even thought that. Giant hogweed. So we got to get some pigs to go eat all these hogweeds. So this photo of this 10-year-old child's hands, this person may need skin grafts due to the severity of the burns she suffered. Yeah. Oh, God. Can I see a picture of the hogweed again? I'm, I'm, I need to avoid this thing. <laughs> it looks like, um, oh, I don't know, there's those, you know those little tiny flowers that bees are always on? Yeah, like the little tiny white ones. Daisies. Yeah. yeah. They, they look like giant daisies. On, yeah. a, like a, on a tall stalk. Yeah, I guess it uh, must have... Uh, you could like literally like be trying to walk through this and get like a burn over your entire body, right? Mm-hmm. Sure. Oof. Duh. Yeah. You're naked. That's like, it. Like not, you like to do. Not going in the forest anymore. It's over. Nope. And it's the sap plus the sun. Yeah. Ah, so we're pretty good here in Vancouver. Because always Hardly any sun. Yeah. Hardly any sun. Lucky. Mm-hmm. Winners. The New Zealand tree nettle, Onga Onga, is onga, one onga. of only two plants in the world that has killed a human just by the unfortunate act of walking into it. <laughs> what? Uh, let me guess. It is covered in giant protrusions that are razor sharp, and this person was impaled. The well-camouflaged plant is armed with unusually large needles that deliver a potentially lethal and often and also corrosive neurotoxin upon the slightest contact. Wow. Wow. Yeah. A neurotoxin Ugh, covered with neurotoxin needles. The plant grows in the shrublands of New Zealand where it may form dense thickets up to two meters tall. Mm-hmm. I, know, I know some dense thickets. That's, yeah. I've known a few over the years. <laughs> Like all nettles, it is covered in stinging hairs that put poison into the skin of a person or animal that brushes against it. Got it. But usually it's just kind of like gives you a rash. Uh, no. In 1961, two young men hunting in the Ruahine Range stumbled through a patch of tree nettle and received a number of stings on their limbs. Right. Within an hour, one of them had difficulty in walking and breathing and then lost his sight. Okay. He died five hours later in hospital. Ugh. Crazy. His friend had similar symptoms but recovered. Although this is the only fatal incident on record, a number of people have been very ill for two or three days after being stung. If death does not occur right away, potentially deadly polyneuropathy, a degenerative breakdown of nervous system pathways, may occur over time. Oh. Wow. Wow. So, so I'm guessing he, that one guy had a, an overly bad reaction. Yeah, or he had like an overly large or, number of stings. Yeah, or got naked and rolled around in it, and we didn't hear that part of the story. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Oh, yeah. good. That. 
I don't care for the nettles. I got to be honest. Nature. Yeah. It's all natural, Kevin. Mm. <laughs> all natural ways of losing your life. Yeah, and they're all gunning for me. Now, why do you think this plant needs to be this poisonous? Oh, is it, is it just a dick? Yeah, it's, well, it's just an asshole, right? If it's a shrub, it doesn't want animals to be like traipsing through it all the time. It wants yeah, to be left me. alone, right? Don't it doesn't bite want me. to get eaten. It doesn't want. It wants plants to just right. animals just fuck off. Oh, and if it kills them, then they lie down next to it dead, and then it gets to like well, they become plant food. So every generation of these plants, it releases its spores, and they get uh, more they, nettly. And they and well, they end up in the ground. And yep. there's some that are randomly slightly more toxic, and some that are less toxic. Well, all mm. the less toxic ones are the ones that are going to be eaten or bothered by a boar. By a boar. Right. And the only ones that survive to make more of them are the ones that are more toxic. And by boar, you mean that guy who shows up at your party and just talks loud and, like, yeah. interrupts everybody. Yeah. And... So I was watching Star Trek The Next Generation the other day, and I noticed something about Worf that I don't think anybody else has noticed in a while. Let yeah. me tell you about what I noticed about Worf. Joe didn't like it when I came over to his party and talked oh, about I guess Worf so. a lot. I guess. Don't invite Torrent to your parties. Yeah. Let's talk about the Gimpy Gimpy. Okay. okay. All right. <laughs> uh, it was featured in Pulp Fiction. It bring, has, out the gimpy, bring out the gimpy, gimpy. Yeah, that's right. It has a uh, zipper mask, <laughs> yeah, right, and is a uh, you know sex slave of Eric Roberts, also known as the stinging tree. Okay, the mm. mulberry leaf stinger, or the suicide plant. Okay, so basically, mm. this is like it's kind of got the same names as serial killers have. It's found in the Australian rainforest, yeah. particularly in disturbed areas in canyons or on slopes. Disturbed areas, like insane asylums. Yes, I think mm-hmm. so. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It reaches about seven feet in height okay. and produces tempting clusters of red fruit that resemble raspberries. Mm. Right. I love raspberries. Every mm. inch is covered with fine silicon hairs that resemble peach fuzz and contain a virulent neurotoxin. Okay. Mm, simply, I love virulent neurotoxin. <laughs> simply brushing up against the plant results in unbearable pain that may last up to a year. What? What? Un- wait, wait, hold on. Plants does need the, to talk. Does the unbearable <laughs> pain last for a year? Yeah. Or is it just pain that lasts for a year? Like, it's unbearable pain Maybe, to start and then dulls yeah. to I'm a, sure there's degrees of uh, pain. You know, after the first eight months, I kind of got used to it. Yeah. yeah. Oh. Ah! No, sorry. Yeah. There it is. Yeah. Okay. All right. So uh, deadly peach fuzz. In some cases, the shock of the pain can be so great that it brings on a heart attack. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. Okay. The hairs themselves are so tiny that they easily penetrate the skin and are almost impossible to pull out. Oh, so... Okay, come on. So they sting you with <laughs> yes. their peach fuzz, yeah. and then they detach and stay embedded in yeah. you. Yes. And they're almost... Because they're practically microscopic, mm-hmm. they're almost impossible to remove. This tree is taking it to another level. Wait, wait. Also, remember that what they're made out of. Silicone. Yes. yes. Silicon does not break down in the bloodstream. So and, little slivers going through you constantly. And even walking through the forest where stinging trees are present can pose a threat. The tree sheds its fine hairs constantly and passerby, passersby run the risk of inhaling them. What? Or getting them in the eyes. Oh. The Gimpy Gimpy's excruciating pain has been described as like being burnt with hot acid and electrocuted at the same time. Wow, got it. The toxin itself is a surprisingly strong uh, is surprisingly strong and stable. In fact, it remains active even in old dry specimens of the plant. Right. The pain can be reactivated for months afterward by extreme hot or cold or simply by touching the skin. Right. This may be due to poison retention inside the venomous needles injected upon contact. Mm-hmm. Wow. One researcher discovered that the poison remains viable for up to 20 years. <laughs> what? 
Uh, fuck nature. <laughs> fuck God. nature. Anaphylactic shock may be induced in even healthy persons, leading Australian forestry departments to is- issue hazmat-grade suits to bush workers in affected areas. Why um, are they not trying to drive this plant into extinction? <laughs> this, is, this is yet another reason, another deterrent for my plans to go to Australia. Yeah. Like... Everything that is this dickish in the world is in Australia. It's a dickish arms race. Oh God, you just got to be—you just got to outdick everything else, don't you? Twenty-year-long toxin. North Queensland road surveyor A.C. McMillan was among the first to document the effects of a stinging tree, mm-hmm. reporting to his boss in 1866 right. that his pack horse was stung, got mad, and died within two hours. Okay. Similar tales abound in local folklore of horses jumping in agony off cliffs and forestry workers drinking themselves silly to dull the intractable pain. Of course. Like they needed an excuse. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, I don't deny it, but come on. They're forestry workers. In 1994, Australian ex-serviceman Cyril Bromley described falling into a stinging tree during military training in World War II. Right. Strapped to a hospital bed for three weeks and administered all manner of unsuccessful treatments he was sent as mad as a cut snake. Mad as a cut snake? I've never heard that term before. <laughs> I like pain. it. I like it. Cyril mad also told of an snake. officer shooting himself after using a stinging tree leaf for toilet purposes. Oh, oh wow. Oh, wow. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, you think when you grabbed the leaf that you would get the stinging in the hand enough yeah. that it would never get to your nether region. Oh, no. Well, it may be apocryphal. We don't know. Right. Oh, Although I can... So you do it. Because they are big, and broad leaves. They are big, broad leaves. And you wipe. And as soon as you do it, that is your sensitive flesh down there. And you know that for up to 20 years, mm-hmm. when you touch that area, it's going to be excruciating pain. Mm-hmm. I And I could totally see like, well, yeah, all right, where's that gun? Yeah, yeah, that's right. Oh, no more butt stuff for me. Queensland Parks and Wildlife Conservation Officer Ernie Ryder will never forget the day in 1963 that he was slapped in the face, arms, and chest by a stinging tree. Right. He said, I remember it feeling like there were giant hands trying to squash my chest. For two or three days, the pain was almost unbearable. Right. I couldn't work asleep. Then it was pretty bad pain for another two weeks. Got it. The stinging persisted for two years. And recurred every time I had a cold shower. There is nothing to rival it. Oh, every time he had a cold shower. Oh, no. <laughs> this is a well, recipe for uh, meeting a really stinky Australian. <laughs> oh, yeah, maybe. Yeah. Uh, a common treatment is the application of hair removal wax strips. Oh, which because will pull then the out, wax yeah. pulls the needles out. Pulls ah. out the fine hairs along with your own. Yeah, well, it's okay. I'd rather be uh, like hairless, like a Ken doll, but without stinging nettles in my skin. There would be some p- potentially beneficial side effects to waxing your ass if you were that guy who yeah. wiped oh, it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Experts recommend a shot of whiskey before attempting the treatment. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> Experts, experts, <laughs> or or a couple of bags of weed vapor, yeah. you know, whatever, yeah. whatever you use to yeah. to dull the pain. By experts, you mean uh, drunk jackasses. 
Saguaro are tall cactuses that can reach heights of 60 feet mm. and grow only in the Sonoran Desert, which straddles the U.S.-Mexico border in the southwestern United States. Oh, uh, if this is as bad as the stinging tree, I think they should have drawn the border around it to, like, you know, get it back oh, into right. Mexico entirely. <laughs> yeah, like, that's right. Screw yeah. this big chunk of Texas. We don't want this part with all these asshole cactuses. Yeah. For the first 75 years of their lives, they have only huge central trunks. Their distinctive outstretched and upward bent arms develop later, if mm. at all. Like in uh, Wiley Coyote. Like in the Wiley Coyote. Yeah. Got it. Their usual lifespan is 150 to 200 years, though okay. some have lived to be 300. Wow. A 300-year-old plant. Yeah. And they can weigh up to eight tons. It's like what? eight elephants. So, th- I mean, this really is like kind of the classic, you know, uh, cactus that we think of when you see cactuses. Like, yeah. mm-hmm. you know, the big, thick green stalk with all the like, you know, quills on it that like splits off into other arms yeah. that yeah. like stick mm-hmm. into the air. So, okay. All right. I got it. I'm, I have a mental are, picture. There's a few here with people and that is a big that is giant. Of, yeah. That is giant. In 1982, roommates David Grundman and James Joseph Sushochi yep. decided to pack up their guns and go wandering in the desert two miles north of Arizona 74, just west of Lake Pleasant. One or both of them was struck with the brilliant notion of taking pot shots at Saguaro they found growing there. Yep. Grundman shot a small saguaro in the trunk so many times that it thudded to the ground. Right. He next chose a specimen which stood 26 feet high and was estimated to be 100 years old. Before the ringing in his ears had stopped, a four-foot spiny arm, severed by the blast, fell on Grundman and crushed him. Oh, he died. So because this plant can grow up to like seven or 800 pounds, mm-hmm. if you have like, you know, one of the arms, it could still be like, you know, 100, 100 pounds. pounds. And dropping from 26 feet up, 100 yeah. pounds, is going to kill you. It's, uh, well, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Grunman's demise was chronicled in Saguaro, a song by the Texas band, the Austin Lounge Lizards. Oh, Ooh. nice. And in fact, the plant itself isn't such a killer plant. Like, if you were to be out motorbiking, right, and yep. you got into an accident and you went flying through the air and you hit a saguaro, right, right really probably you would get all these, like, spines in you, but it would be just like a cactus spine that you need to remove as opposed to a deadly poison tree. Right. That yeah. will yeah. that could actually has a recorded incident where it could kill you. But in this specific case, a piece of this fell and crushed a person to death. And so that's why this is a killer plant. And, yeah. th- and they will topple over. Yeah, I have another one. Uh, this is from 2012, Arizona. Okay. William Mason, a 40-year-old Arizona city worker, was nearly killed after a 16-foot-tall, 2,500-pound saguaro cactus fell on him while he was responding to an emergency water leak. Wow. It first hit the back of his head, coming down to break his left leg while inflicting hundreds of spines into his body. Mm-hmm. Following surgery in intensive care, he has a rod in his hip that reaches up to the front of his knee. Mr. Mason had 146 cactus spines removed from his body while hospitalized, <laughs> and as of the report, still had spines working their way out of his body. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Wow. That's, uh, that's too many spines. Uh, I got one spine. It's, it's enough. I'm spineless. Oh, <laughs> you could maybe use some of these spines. Oh, yeah, maybe. Maybe we should drop a saguaro on you. And uh, we actually have an anecdote from a listener, Richard A., right? who says... I've lived in Arizona my whole life. When I was five or six, we were helping a neighbor clean out his garage. And while I was carrying something heavy, I lost my footing and fell backwards into the decorative cacti up against his house. Okay. Including the silver challah, 
Cylindropuntia uh, echinocarpa, mm-hmm. diamond cholla, C-H-O-L-L-A, the many-headed barrel cactus, and pancake prickly pear cactus, Ooh. among others. Right. I didn't go to the hospital. Instead, I was carried into my home and laid on my stomach as a group of four family members went over the back of my body and legs with tweezers, removing hundreds of needles. <laughs> oh, God. Like, come on. You have to at some point go, you guys have got... I don't cut what, off the leg. I don't know what you're doing back there, but this has to be an easier process than this. It took multiple hours. The most painful part was the removal from my legs. Every time one was pulled out, my leg would tense and twitch. And when it did, I could feel all the remaining needles move as well. Right. <laughs> Aside oh, from so you're my... Like a, you're like a homemade porcupine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. self-inflicted one. Yeah. Aside from my kidney stones, it was the single most painful thing that has happened to me in my life. Oh, wow. Uh, this guy's got a... Uh, he's got a double whammy. Kidney mm-hmm. stones and cactus butt. At least it wasn't at the same time. That's true. Although I guess if you get them both at the same time, and then you have a period in your life when you didn't have one or the other. Does one cancel the other out, though? No, it seems like it's we a need compounding some science. effect. We need some science. All right, start, start working on your uh, kidney stone. and uh, then we'll, Okay, I am. And then, I'll drink this coffee. Yeah, and then I'll push you into a cactus. We'll see what happens. The Manchineal, Hippomane Mancinella. Okay. Also known as the Little Apple of Death. Or the tree of death. The little apple of death. Yeah. Okay. This is found on the coastal beaches of the Caribbean and Florida, okay. uh, the West Indies. All right. This tree looks a bit like an arbutus tree. Its trunk is mostly low to the ground with long twisted tendrils like branches. Right. It produces a fruit which looks not unlike a small green apple. Okay. And when ingested, has a pleasant sweet taste, but it is not recommended to eat or go anywhere near. Don't go anywhere this near tree. It. Okay. Because every part of the tree is painfully poisonous. There's hold... more than one part to a tree? Yeah, well, you got the leaves, yeah, you, you the got the bark, bark. you got the okay. fruits. So this particular tree, its bite is worse than its bark. It holds the Guinness World Record for the most dangerous tree in the world. <gasps> right. How do they quantify this? Because the Guinness is all about, we need quantification. We need a, a time or a distance or this. So what makes it the deadliest? Let's hear it. Well, the tree's genus, Hippomane, was assigned to its line after noting that horses were driven mad after eating it. Okay. Okay. Hippo. Hippo. Horsemania. Horsemania. Yeah. Right. Standing beneath the tree during rain will cause blistering of the skin from mere contact with the liquid. Okay. So rain washes over this and drips on you. Yeah. So what is it? The It's like just, you know, leaking some poisonous material? It's got milky sap. Okay. Uh, which produces bullous dermatitis, uh-huh. acute keratino, keratojunctivitis, which yeah. is fuck, the fucking up of the eyes. Mm-hmm. Got it. And possibly large corneal epithelial defects. Milky sap, that's the nickname of that linebacker from San Diego. The sap has been known to damage the paint on cars. Oh, terrible. Well, well won't know. somebody think of the cars? Yeah. Won't somebody think of the skin that is being flayed <laughs> off your body by dripping rain off of this freaking plant? Burning the tree may uh-huh. cause ocular injuries if the smoke reaches the eyes. So if you burn it, just the airborne smoke yeah. Yeah. with the like yes. poisonous thing in it could actually burn your eyes out yes. of your head. All right. Eating the fruit of the manchineal tree uh, will produce the following symptoms. Okay. Burning mouth pain. Right. Salivation, okay. swelling. Of the I gums. have that one all the time. You got salivation. Yeah, I got salivation. Did you covered. eat the manchineal? No, no, no. I think I come by that one naturally. Swelling of the gums, uh-huh. mouth, tongue, and throat. Okay. Sloughing of the gastrointestinal mucosa. Mm-hmm. Uh, severe abdominal pain. 
right. vomiting, bleeding of the intestinal tract, swelling of the lymph nodes. Autopsies done on victims of eating the manchineal fruit apparently looked like they had ingested a can of lye. Oh, Oof. God. Caustic Brr. soda. Yeah. Uh, so, like, you eat it and it just burns all the way down to your gut and just, you know, rots everything out in between. Those who Oof. consume one or more of the fruit often go into shock and can die without treatment. Chronic exposure to manchineal can cause degradation of the liver, kidney, pancreas, and adrenals. Another source claims ingestion may produce severe gastroenteritis with bleeding, shock, bacterial superinfection, and the potential of for airway compromise due to right. edema. Yeah. Removing the tree from populated areas proves problematic. Cutting the tree releases the squirting spraying sap. Right. Burning the tree, as we said, turns the toxins into a vaporous form that's carried in the smoke. Right. Uh, which burns the skin and can, can result in blindness. Right. All yeah. Right. Okay. So how do you get rid of it? You just dig up all around it. Keep it right. in the, the Cover it dirt in the... that it's in. Yeah. And then, I don't know, just dump nuke, it. nuke the whole site from orbit. Yeah, yeah. There you go. That's what you do. You drop a meteorite on it. Oh, I yeah. know what we do is we, we take them all and we put them in the exact same storage place as we put nuclear waste. And then in years, we'll be able to have really awesome monster movies. Oh, Got yeah. it. Got go. it. The Kalina people used the sap of this tree to poison their arrows and would tie captives to the trunk of the tree, oh. ensuring a slow and painful death. Yep. Tie him to the tree of right. woe. So the, where is this one again? This is in the Caribbean. Mm-hmm. Oh, good. And the Caribs, mm-hmm. the Caribs of Caribbean, mm-hmm. uh, were also known to poison the water supply of their enemies with the leaves. Spanish explorer Juan Ponce de Leon was struck by an arrow that had been poisoned with manchineal sap during battle with Calusa in Florida, and he died shortly thereafter. Oh, wow. so much for uh, Fountain of Youth. This is a, found found- a fountain of sap. Yeah, yeah. So I think we found the fruit flavor of caustic soda. Oh, manchineal. It's, it's death oh, yeah. apple. <laughs> manchineal. The, the what, death is that, apple. what does that sign say? Uh, warning, manchineal tree. The leaves, bark, and fruits of these trees contain a caustic sap, which may be injurious if touched. Columbus described the small green fruits as death apples. The trees are common along Car- Caribbean shores. Avoid contact with any part of this tree. Exclamation Big point. red warning sign. Would that be healthy to be a tree hugger in that part of the world? No! Mm-hmm. Do not hug those trees. It's all natural, Kevin. It can't be bad. I, I'll tell you what I do like. Mm. I appreciate... Good coconut Bismarck donut. Oh sure, it's a, you, uh, need, you, you need uh, fresh coconuts for that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you, you gotta l- crack them up on like eggs. Here in Vancouver, there's Lucky's Donuts. Yeah. it's up on Main Street. Oh. Uh, Lucky's. If you're, listing, if you're listening, I'd like you to send me a box of free coconut Bismarcks, please. But they have coconut in them, which yeah. I'm well, there's nothing about. killer about coconuts. Coconuts can cause death. What? Typically, as a result of the fruit falling from the trees and striking people on the head. Okay. Of course. <laughs> sure. Yeah. 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 Uh, gravity. It's actually not the coconut that killed you. It was the gravity. That's right. Oh, I see. Um, following a 1984 study on injuries due to falling coconuts, exaggerated claims spread concerning the number of deaths by coconut. Coconuts are not that deadly in space. No. Right. Yeah. Not that deadly. A few people a year has become a widely circulated urban legend. The legend gained momentum after a noted expert on shark attacks claimed in 2002 <laughs> that falling coconuts kill 150 people worldwide each year. Okay. That's a bold claim. Okay. That's a bold sure. claim. Mm-hmm. Uh, the claim has often been compared with the number of shark-caused deaths per year, which is approximately five. Right. So, so you're mm-hmm. more likely to die from a coconut landing That's on your head. That's only yeah. because sharks aren't up in trees. <laughs> right. Fall, fall the, the falling right, shark right. tree. Yeah, if you had, uh, like in Sharknado, when they end up mm-hmm. in the trees after being uh, sucked out of the ocean. Wow. 
In 2002, officials in Queensland, Australia, removed coconut trees from local beaches to guard against death by coconut. Right. <laughs> uh, see, I'm working with the coconut Bismarck. I'm working on death by coconut right. via cholesterol. Yes. Right. You know, and uh, sugar. Uh, one local newspaper dubbed coconuts the killer fruit. Right. Historical reports of actual death by coconut date back to at least the 1770s. Published accounts also include instances of coconuts being used as weapons, including the use of coconut bombs sure. by the Japanese during World War II. <laughs> a hand grenade and picric acid put into a hollowed out coconut sealed with wax and looped with a cord oh. would be hurled at U.S. troop concentrations making a terrific sound okay. but causing a little damage. Uh, it seems so like they like, just use your grenade. Just don't, put, grenade. don't put it in a coconut. In a coconut. The, research, the 1984 research paper was written by Dr. Peter Barse uh, and published in the Journal of Trauma. Okay, yeah, that's uh, a good journal. Yeah, it's a good journal for traumatic events. Barse observed that in Papua New Guinea, over a period of four years, 2.5% of trauma admissions were for those injured by falling coconut, okay. with at least two fatalities. All right. The figure went on to be misquoted as 150 worldwide, worldwide, based on the assumption that elsewhere in the world there was also a similar number of coconut deaths. Oh, right. Okay. If you extrapolate from this one coconut-laden place to the rest <laughs> of the world. Yeah, yeah exactly. Right, right, right. Uh, in March 2012, Bars received an Ig Nobel Award. The Ig Nobel. The, the Ig, Ig Nobel. Nobel. Yeah. Right. Uh, from the Annals of Improbable Research. In recognition of research that cannot or should not be replicated. Okay. So this is basically right. the uh, Razzie for uh, of, research yeah. science, yeah. right? Yeah, but he's uh, he's talking about actual deaths from an actual thing that maybe we could learn a little bit about and prevent. Right. Uh, maybe he wasn't the one who did the extrapolation. Right. The was extrapolation the, was definitely ignoble. Yeah. But he didn't deserve that. Right. But we couldn't pin that on an individual. No, like exactly. On this one. In response to the dubious distinction, Bars told the Canadian Medical Association Journal... When you're treating these injuries daily, it's not funny at all. Yeah, right. Following Barsa's study, exaggerated claims about the number of deaths by coconut began to spread uh, uh, around. An analysis by the Shark Research Institute <laughs> cites a press release from Club Travel, a UK-based travel insurance company is helping to spread the urban legend. Right. In an attempt to market travel insurance to individuals right. in Papua New Guinea, the release stated that coconuts were... Ten times more dangerous right. than sharks. They're 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 inflating. They're conflating. Mm -hmm. They're something. They're flating. They're flating. There's they're flating, flating the, the, the claims uh, from the, the danger. Study. Yeah, they're of not. The, they're not checking. What in happened order to was sell insurance. They yeah. found somebody else talking about it and went 150. Why that's 10 times? Let's do this. Let's not bother to confirm that that's actually true because we're just in marketing, not in science. And who cares about truth? We just want people to yeah buy insurance. Uh, there are about 20 document cases listed on Wikipedia, though some of the victims are babies or young children, right. and some of the deaths come from monkeys throwing coconuts at people's heads. <laughs> yeah. Well, so, monkeys do love coconuts. Uh, they love throwing coconuts, evidently. And they're jerks. Yeah. Yeah. Monkeys are jerks.
monkey likes coconuts, like a Scotchman tree. Like a banker likes snow, like an Eskimo snow. I like you. Like a monkey likes coconuts, like an Indian bee. Oh, an Englishman tea, a Frenchman wee wee. I like you. Like the Swiss folk, like the ski. Like politicians vote. Like a sailor likes the sea. <laughs> like a horse likes oats. Like a monkey likes coconuts. Like a birdie likes seeds. Like a fighter likes pubs. A scientist bugs. A general troops, Mr. Crosby boots. I like you. In the news, 2010 Massachusetts, All right. formerly news. By the summer of 2010, Ron Svidan mm-hmm. had had emphysema for several months yep. and was coughing a lot okay. and felt a lot less energetic Got it. than usual. Mm-hmm. Quit smoking. While many people might just assume that these kind of things are inevitable for a 75-year-old man to experience, yep. Sweden was worried that he had a tumor in his lung. All right. I, I think that's a reasonable thing to worry about. Yeah, when uh, you're coughing and uh, you can't breathe and all the rest of that jazz. On a particularly bad day, he was taken to hospital. X-rays revealed a growth in his left lung, which had also collapsed. Okay. All right. It took an agonizing 10 days for Ron's results to come back from the lab. But when they did, they showed that Ron did not have cancer. Far from a tumor, the growth inside him was actually a small pea plant. Yeah, I don't like that. Doctors speculate that the pee had been accidentally inhaled and the lung had proven an ideally warm, humid atmosphere in which to sprout. Oh, no. Yeah, and lots of carbon dioxide for it. Oh, no. The plant was surgically removed and Ron was fine. Okay. Oh, no. (laughs) One of the first meals I had in the hospital after the surgery had peas for the vegetable. I laughed to myself and ate them. (laughs) (laughs) Fuck you, peas. Uh The plant was about half an inch in size. That's a lot of uh, plant to be in in your your lung. lung, yeah. Yeah. Whether this would have gone full term and I'd be working for the Jolly Green Giant, I don't know. This guy's a real jokester. I think the thing that finally dawned on me was that it wasn't the cancer. Uh, yeah, no, that's yeah. A, listen, if you think you have a lung cancer yeah. and it turns instead out to be a pea shoot. <laughs> well, we'll just cut yeah. that out. Yeah. yeah. Woohoo! Yeah, I'm like, this is a win. Yeah. This is a win. Do you, so now do you eat more peas or do you eat less peas? 
I would eat less peas. I would probably swear <laughs> off peas. I would just buy peas and throw them in the garbage. <laughs> yes. I don't. I don't love peas enough. I hate peas to really roll with. Uh, It'd be like holding a picket sign outside the grocery stores. No more peas. peas. No mm-hmm. more peas. Too dangerous. Mm-hmm. I'd switch to Q's and R's. Twenty fourteen, Los Angeles. Uh, yeah. I want to thank Mike Tice for this one. Tony Calderon spent Saturday morning getting ready to pay his last respects to his uncle. Okay. Now Calderon's family and friends are paying their last respects to him. Calderon, 49, was waiting for a ride near his home when the massive crown of a palm tree fell on him, trapping him underneath. Oh, so like the whole top, not just the coconut. Mm -hmm. Maybe did a monkey throw this at him? (laughs) A giant monkey? Giant, yeah. You know, uh, grape ape or uh, McGilla Gorilla or (laughs) something like that. Just like, you know, huck the whole kid caboodle at him. His mother, Nellie Mora, was inside when the incident occurred. We heard a boom, and I ran outside, and I saw all the neighbors come, and they were all trying to pull him out. Uh-huh. Calderon was crushed by the 2,000-pound crown. That's Ooh. a ton. Oh, God. But alive and screaming for help. Yeah. Neighbors oh. tried unsuccessfully to lift the palm tree off Calderon without touching power lines oh. that were downed by the falling tree. Oh. Right. By the time firefighters were able to get a crane, he was dead. No. Right. God, palm but. trees, the silent killer. Well, well, just <laughs> random except for the, shit. Except for, the, except for the giant boom that occurred. <laughs> uh, well, that's that. It's silent. Then it crushes you, right. and then there's the boom. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, it's like you know. I mean, I guess this is sort of like the hand of God. I mean, it's a palm tree after oh, all. Yeah. 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 Uh, yeah. That's what yeah. they call it because he got palmed. Yeah. Oh God. <laughs> we could just have a random death that you weren't at all expecting episode where yeah. people were just you know waiting outside and then a thing happened and they died because yeah. this is one of those. We could have a surprised by death episode. Yes. Yeah. Surprise. Yeah. <laughs> We'll do it for one of our birthdays. You get to you get to live for I don't know ten minutes while being slowly crushed to death by a two thousand pound crown of a palm tree, and mm-hmm. all your friends are desperately trying to save your life, but can't because it's two thousand pounds, and all their lives are probably pretty shitty for the next several years. Well, remember that time that that thing fell on Tony, and yeah. all we could do was stand around and wait while he screamed and died. <laughs> yeah, oh, good. That was a really shitty year, twenty fourteen. Uh, you know yeah. how I get over it? Coconut Bismarck. Oh, true. Yeah, because now I eat the coconut. Right, not, not the coconut eats you. Coconut doesn't get me. I yeah. get it. Yeah, it's justice. Yeah, it's street karma. justice. Yeah, it's justice. <laughs> street <laughs> justice. <laughs> In the mythology slash folklore, okay, mm-hmm. you got the Madagascar man-eating tree. Okay, the mm-hmm. earliest well-known report of a man-eating tree originated as a literary fabrication written by Edmund Spencer for the New York World in 1874. Okay, in the article, a letter was published by a purported German explorer named Karl Liche, mm-hmm. who provided a report of encountering a sacrifice performed by the fictional. Makoto tribe of Madagascar describing the tree the account related the slender delicate palpi with the fury of starved serpents quivered a moment over her head then as if uh, in in instinct with demoniac intelligence demoniac Mm -hmm. intelligence uh 
fastened upon her in sudden coils round and round her neck and arms. Then, while her awful screams and yet more awful laughter rose wildly mm. to be instantly strangled down again into a gurgling moan, the tendrils, one after another, like great green serpents. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. With brutal energy mm-hmm. and infernal rapidity, Rose retracted themselves and wrapped her about in fold after fold, ever tightening with cruel swiftness and savage tenacity of anacondas fast, f- fastening fastening upon their prey. So you definitely used a lot of snake analogy in here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like there was a, you know, a, a, a definite um, uh, creating a mental picture. With the language, this yeah, snaky picture. It feels like I'm reading fiction. This is what it is. Somebody's yeah. somebody's jerk off porn. He likes the idea of a, <laughs> of a woman yeah. being grabbed by a tree, and yeah. Mm. This was debunked in 1955. Oh, eighty years later. Yeah, sometime mm. later. Yeah. Mm. So it was. It was like, did he try and pass it off as a real article? Is that what was happening? I know that it, it made the rounds. Right. You know, this was a sensational story that was reprinted and reprinted. Right, mm-hmm. right. So maybe he did write it as fiction, um, well, but it was like misconstrued. German explorer. He might yeah. not have even ever even been there. It just yeah. could be some story that somebody wrote that again went their version of quote viral mm-hmm. back in the day, and there was no Snopes to check. So. Yeah, right. and there's there was no explorer named Karl Lika. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then in Japan, you have the vampire tree, the Juboko. Mm-hmm. It appears in former battlefields where many people have died, and its appearance does not differ that much from ordinary trees, mm-hmm. since it becomes a, a yukai tree by sucking up large quantities of blood of the dead. It lives on human blood. Okay, so this is a this is a fictional tree too. Yes. yes. All right. Okay. We're Absolutely. in we're in the, the pop culture and got mythology. It. Yeah. Got it. Okay. When a human being happens to be passing by, it captures the victim and changing its its branches into the shape of a tube, sucks the blood out of the victim. Oh, like a straw. Yeah. He uh, he sucks up your milkshake. Yeah. But your blood shake. Yeah. yeah. Your blood shake. This tree sucks up your blood shake. The jibuko that sucks life out of human beings in such a way always maintains a fresh appearance. And and when it's cut, it bleeds. Oh, of course it, bleeds it does. the blood. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, don't go logging in that forest. No, no. You get all bloody. Or suck dry. I watched Attack of the Killer Tomatoes, <laughs> the original. Uh, okay. Attack of the Killer Tomatoes. Uh, you're singing the best part of the entire film. <laughs> All right, okay. So this is a 1978 musical black comedy horror film. It feels like a bunch of people found a local community TV station right. video camera, mm-hmm. set it up on a tripod, and then went to where it was pointed at and tried to be funny. Yeah. And failed. Right. And then tried to put it all together and then was like, oh, we've got to have an overarching story. Let's weave together some kind of tomatoes or attacking plot, even Uh though we'll barely touch on it. Mm -hmm. And we'll just tell the worst, dumbest, stupidest jokes that we can do. We'll call it a comedy and it's a satire. So why was this such a massive sensation then, Joe? Uh, Because of the name. Uh, The name... And the poster and the advertising of it and the fact that it was so cheap to make, right? right? So everybody attack of the killer tomatoes and it's a and if you see the trailer, they can concentrate on tomatoes attacking, which is really just them rolling them towards you and filming it. Right. And so it seems like it's gonna be this goofy fun they totally made fun of horror movies and it's really clever. It's not clever. It's right. not funny, it's not intelligent, it is completely toothless in its satire. Like right. it's 
quote unquote making fun of B movies, except it's bad. It's worse than the B movies were that it's making fun there, of and not on purpose. Were there boobs? No, no, um, no okay. there were no then boobs in it, it that I saw. No, of. There was a woman interested. who died originally just terrible. She saw a tomato and then screamed, and then they showed her with tomato juice on her face later right. on as a corpse. Got it. Um, like, I got angry watching this movie. Oh, it doesn't wow. happen all that much when I watch wow. the you movies were, that we watch. You were affected by the attack. You were attacked. Because you were attacked emotionally. Because there's a sequel, or there's a couple there of sequels. There are three sequels. Yeah. So you asked me to also watch Return of the attack of the killer tomatoes and you did it and i did not oh okay oh, i had oh. plenty of time i could have done it and yeah. i was like well let me watch the trailer and i was like no i'm not gonna watch the second one because i watched this fucking first one got it post-traumatic Fair. stress Fair. disorder post-tomato stress disorder oh yeah yeah, yeah. like ptsd if you want to find out how bad it is just watch about five minutes of it right. on yeah. youtube and uh-huh. you'll be like yeah, I get it. The only worthwhile bit in this is at about the five minute mark. And uh-huh. I'm going to show you guys this. So here's the cops showing up to mm-hmm. deal with the tomatoes, even though they keep it secret. And they've got this uh, Huey helicopter that's supposed to land in the background behind them, right? Yeah. Oh, and the helicopter crashes? Yes. For real, that was an accident. That was the remains of it. So they worked it into the story. Right, right, right. So the helicopter was supposed to land cleanly. Supposed to land cleanly. $60,000 is how much that helicopter cost. Right. And they just went, fuck, we got that on film. Let's just use it. Wild. It was also adapted uh, into a cartoon series. Yeah. Uh And a comic book and video games. Yeah. It was was a full-on sensation. It's a franchise. It was on a clever title. Yeah. What about the ruins? It was about these... Kids who go looking for sort of uh, something to see in the jungle off the beaten path, you know, down in, uh, I think it's Mexico or Central America or something like that. And uh, they find this like old pyramid and they camp on it. And then, Mm. you know, they start to uh, exhibit signs of uh, disease and parasitism and all the rest of this stuff. People do. You've got the, those old pyramids and they're like covered in vines or whatever. Mm -hmm. And this, uh, this vine that inhabits this thing is a, uh, it's a man eater. Oh, it's a killer vine. Killer vine. Precisely. That's what happens in the ruins. Yeah. And it, um, there's some hallucinations and there's some, uh, creepy voices coming from, uh, inside and it's it, it like mm. you know heightens some tension and does all this stuff i didn't hate it i didn't love it i don't really know why i even went to see it <laughs> to be honest i watched godzilla versus biolante oh okay this is from 1989 oh wow that's a that's a late sort of a addition to the godzilla pantheon 17th film in wow. the godzilla franchise okay right right and what is a biolante a biolante is oh god, it's uh, like a big rose monster. A rose monster. Yeah. I watched it with English dubbing, so that is I don't, the best I don't way know to watch what Godzilla was movies. missed in translation. Okay, but this movie was all over the place. All right, Godzilla. Our scientists want to use Godzilla cells to merge with genetically modified plants, hoping to transform deserts to vast greenery. Mm-hmm. Okay, and then the daughter of one of the scientists is killed in a terrorist bombing. Got it. And then the scientist merges some of his daughter's cells with those of a rose so her soul will continue living in the plant. That's just science. That's science. That's good science. Right. And then the rose bed is damaged in an earthquake. Okay. 
And so the scientist merges uh, Godzilla cells with the plants to save the plants. Right. Mm-hmm. That have the soul of his daughter. And then mm-hmm. Biollante is created and it calls out to Gojira and they fight a couple of times. Okay. All right. And the- How does a rose monster fight? Well, with big tendrils okay. that have like Venus flytrap uh, mouths on the end of them. Oh, wow. So this is... Yeah, like, this like, is... like maws with toothy maws. Okay. Yeah. All right. This is a mo- more than just a rose plant uh, a and, monster. And in the end, when Biollante is destroyed, we see the daughter's face in the sky, implying that her soul is, is going off into space. Got it. It's weird. Uh-huh. It's very weird. Uh-huh. And there's also a psychic who may or may not be able to communicate with the plants and who may or may not be able to communicate with uh, Gojira. Yeah. Okay. It's very confusing. So you at first, Biolanti resembles a giant rose with uh, with teeth inside its bud. Yep. And then in the final form, looks more like a gigantic carnivorous plant with like a mosasaur-ish head. Right. With a mouth lined with thousands right, of teeth. Right, right, right. And there's, there's tendrils, and uh, she's actually bigger. Than Godzilla. Wow. Substantially. There you go. That doesn't happen very often. Uh, yeah. And uh, so, you know, it's a cool toy for sure. So how mm. does Godzilla defeat Biolante? Oh, just the usual way. Tail whip. The oh, atomic yeah. fire breath. Yeah. Mm. There's nothing super amazing about the fights or anything like right. that. Or unique. Yeah. They kind of just all sort of add up to the same thing. But it is a killer plant. There you go. All right. Uh, it's no coconut. <laughs> no. <laughs> the Godzilla versus coconut was a different movie. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Bonk. <laughs> uh-huh. Doctor Who and the Seeds of Doom. Ooh. It's from the Doctor <sighs> Who uh, season 13 with okay. the fourth Doctor, Tom Baker. Uh, I'd seen it ages and ages ago. Uh, it's it's not bad. It's right. very heavily influenced by another one we'll probably talk about, which is The Thing. Okay. Mm. Uh, because it starts off in an Antarctic, I think it's Antarctic, yeah. uh, research station, and they find these... Uh, pods, these seed pods frozen right. under tens of thousands of years of frozen ice. Right. And of course, it's an alien seed pod, which then uh, infects somebody and starts turning them into, we find out, a crinoid. Okay. K R Y N O I D, who infect a host, kind of take over their mind, turn them into this walking, shambling green monster. Oh, oh okay. Which, once it's consumed all of his, uh, all of that uh, human uh, protein, right. can then start to take in energy from the uh, the uh, surrounding environment. Right. right. So it needs right. it needs a body at first, and then can just start growing. So at the end of it. Uh, they end up dealing with the first one, taking a second one off to a rich guy in England who wants it for his collection. collection. Yeah, of course. And yeah. it turns out that he's crazy and being controlled by it at the end and right. wants it to kill all the humans on Earth and the doctor has to stop it. Got it. And at the end, it's a giant monster. Uh, uh, ooh. So that it's it's actually bigger than the size of the house uh, that they're oh, in. Wow. There it okay. is there. Uh, pretty cool rubber monster suit. They do a few special effects of lights flashing at it as Unit tries to to fight it. Unit. It's the Doctor Who era when he was supposed to be less kind of action oriented. Right. But in multiple scenes, he actually fights things with his hands, which yeah. is really weird for a Doctor Who episode. And at one point, he knocks a gun out of somebody's hand, grabs it, and points it at them. And oh, it was really okay. weird to see Doctor Who pointing a gun at somebody as he was backing out of a room. Not that it never happens. It, right. was, it just seemed to happen a lot in this episode. Right. So if you weren't a Doctor Who fan and you yeah. saw this like completely, uh, you know, isolated from all Doctor Who things, would you give right. it a passing grade? 
It's hard so when the rubber suit is involved. It's, it's very difficult <laughs> right. to give a double thumbs up to anything that involves a rubber and suit. And we're looking at the mid-70s quality of production. Yeah. If mm. you take into account, wow, this is a mostly a kid's show, it's not bad, right? right? Well, you were speaking of the thing yeah. from another world, yeah. which is the 1951 movie. Okay. Right. Not the thing. The thing. John Carpenter's a thing. And not who goes there. Which is the original story okay. that thing is based on? Because the only one that has a plant creature in it is the 1951. Uh, but they're thing all from they're, world. they're all they all uh, draw on the same story. Yes. Okay. Yeah. All right. Who goes there was the original uh, John Campbell or something like mm-hmm. that. And I watched the thing from another world. I've seen it probably three times now. Oh mm. wow! It's very short. Oh, okay. There are a lot of parallels between uh, this one and John Carpenter's, Carpenter's one. Thing. I haven't read the original story. Right. Mm-hmm. In this version. There's a plant monster that comes from space. They yeah. dig out of the ice, and it comes back to life because it's very hard to kill. Mm-hmm. And it it creates uh, like little spores that mm-hmm. grow, right. and they can basically like replicate itself like a million times. So it could take over the world if right. you ever got out of Antarctica. Right. So there's that parallel as well. Got it. And the main shortcoming of this movie is the monster is basically just a guy with a bit a forehead appliance. And some spikes on his knuckles, and he's just a tall guy oh, yeah. in, a, in a jumpsuit. I seem to remember right. that. And they electrocuted at the end? They electrocuted at the end, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. It's hard to argue with the uh, shortcomings of uh, stuff that was made in 1951. But if you're a fan of John Carpenter's The Thing, it's interesting to watch just to see the comparisons. Right, mm-hmm. yeah, of course. As much as I hated Attack of the Killer Tomatoes, I think I hate The Happening from 2008 <laughs> by M. Night Shyamalan mm. even more. Well, by the, it was by this point in time when this movie was released that I realized that I despised M. Night Shyamalan and everything that yeah. he'd done. So uh, I did not have the displeasure of watching this. So uh, I feel like I oh, dodged wow. a coconut. It is terrible. Yep. And like, of course, so dumb. In a, such a proud way of being dumb. Yeah. Like, like a, every movie he's made There's since a speech at sense. the beginning yeah. where the Mark Wahlberg scientist says... He, and he's a, he's a science teacher. Yeah, he's a science teacher. And he says, there are things in science you don't understand. Don't even try. Right. Don't yeah. even try it. Which is kind of a message for the audience of the movie. Right. So don't try to make sense of this garbage. Yeah. yeah right. <laughs> Except he's couching it as... There's stuff science can't understand. I'm like, no, this is exactly the kind of thing science is good at understanding. Yeah. So M. Night Shyamalan was planting the seed of uh don't dig too deeply into my logic here because it's not going to add up. Because there's no science to my screenwriting abilities. Mm -hmm. So in the happening, here's literally what the happening is. People just stop moving. People are walking around. Then they just kind of stop because the plants made them and then they all die. Right. Well, they, they kill themselves. They, or that's right. They just kill themselves. And they find out it's because of the plants. And so being a an quote-unquote action thriller movie, right. there's scenes of them trying to outrun the plants, trying to get them. And there's somebody safe in a, in a shack and somebody else safe somewhere. And they've got to get to each other. And can they run across this open field without right. getting caught by the whatever yeah. the I guess the idea is that doing. it's supposed to be like a pollen or a spores Spore. or some kind of no, something that's... Torrent. There's things science just can't understand. <laughs> Got it. But because they get chased by wind. They do. It's, so it's... But they never say that that's what's carrying any <laughs> right. of this because you can't... It's just... And then, do you know how it stops? Spoiler alert for this piece of shit movie. It just stops. Yeah. yeah. We don't know why it happened and... Maybe, happening. It'll, maybe it'll happen again. Just some stuff happened. Thanks, M. Night Shyamalan. Oh, yeah. 
on the uh, on the opposite side of that spectrum, a uh, movie that I really enjoy, mm-hmm. Little Shop of Horrors. Right there, we go. I yeah. I have uh, watched multiple times both the original and the 1986 Frank Oz remake. Mm. Uh, Which do you like better? Well, the remake is a musical, so I like the songs. Really? Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. Because like, I tried to watch the second one, and I only got about a halfway through. But the first one does have uh, a masochistic Jack Nicholson. Yes, right, it does. He's the. This was his first film appearance, uh, if I read the internet correctly. Yeah, he plays the dental patient that enjoys the sadistic glee right. of the dentist. Yes, so which is maintained. But so the first one's in black and white, also fairly short movie. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No music. No music. Yeah, correct. It's a. Uh, they play it straight. Or as straight as you can uh, when talking about a uh, giant plant that you know gets yeah. fed dead bodies yeah. by the uh, the store owner, I can o- I can only imagine like how counterculture this thing was when it came out. Like it's you know pretty bizarre and counterculture today, and so you know I cotton towards that sort of stuff. So yeah. you know I, uh, I there's an appeal to it, but I do like the Frank Oz version because uh, it has. More production value, like the one, the first yeah, one was obviously sure. shot for a dollar fifty. Yes, right. Yeah, the plant is just basically two clamshells with some, yeah, you know, mm-hmm. uh, uh, lamb's ear around or something like oh, that. And the, the the feed me Seymour song in mm-hmm. the second one is fantastic. Feed me Seymour. Yeah. Feed me. The voice in the second one is much it has a lot more character, absolutely, than in the first one because the first one is like feed me, feed me, I'm hungry. Yeah, yeah. It wasn't a lot of there wasn't a lot to it. Stewie will punish me if I don't mention Shrub Ziggurath, the giant plant monster. Okay. Shrub Niggurath. Shrub Ziggurath. Shrub, shrub Ziggurath. From Kaiju Gogo, the uh, video game mm-hmm. uh, in which I did some voices. Got it. And which is uh, you are a mad scientist and you create giant kaiju. Right. Godzilla-like monsters. Uh-huh. And they go and fight in the city. Got it. So yeah. city destruction. Yeah. And so one you- of them is... Very much like Audrey too from Little Shop of Horse. Got it. The giant Venus flytrappy kind of a mm-hmm. critter. All right. Day of the Triffids. Has anyone? Day of the Triplets. Day of the Triffids. Oh, the Triffids. Uh, uh, are there three of them? Uh, the name Triffid alludes to the plant's three leg-like protrusions, uh-huh. and was originally trifid, Latin for split into three parts. Mm. Okay. Yeah. There you go. Uh, has anyone seen any Triffids media in any form? No. No. So, John Wyndham wrote the original Day of the Triffids, okay. which was uh, a novel, mm-hmm. and it's a 1951 post-apocalypse novel about a plague of blindness that befalls the entire world, allowing okay. the rise of an aggressive species of plant. Oh, okay. So, everyone goes blind, and then the plants take over. So, there's a meteor shower, okay, or what everyone believes to be a meteor shower at right, the beginning right. of the movie that kind of travels around the world with uh, as night falls. Yeah, right. Like, and like- anyone who looked at it... Goes blind. blind, permanently blind. Okay. okay. So there's a few stragglers who, uh, like the main character, was actually like worked on a Triffid farm and he was stung by the Triffids. Okay. So he was partially blind for a while. He wakes up in hospital. He takes off the bandages. Uh, and he's like one of the few people in the world that can see. Okay. okay. All right. So society is just destroying itself now right. that everyone's blind, just chaos and lawlessness. Yep. Uh, and then these Triffids, which are tall, like taller than a human. Right. Plants, they're kind of like like orchids a bit. Yep. And they have these stingers that, that shoot out. Although, in, in so there's the main book. There's the 1962 film. Okay. 
There's a 1991 TV series. Right. Sorry, 1981. And there's a 2009 series. I've watched the movie and the first miniseries. Okay. Mm -hmm. In the movie, I think they shoot out the stingers. Right. But in all the other ones, it's like a, a like a, almost like a tentacle that lashes you and slashes you mm. on your skin. Okay. And then you die and go blind. And then the plant will just kind of hover over you and eat you. And consume you. Consume you, yeah. So then the- And they were developed. It's not really clear. There's a lot of unclear. Right. The John Wyndham doesn't really explain where any of this stuff originates from. Right. The characters all have their own theories. Right. In the book. The Triffids just showed up on Earth one day. The Triffids were uh, uh, apparently bioengineered to produce an oil. Okay. They're like grafted by from these different plants to create right. a superior oil that's going to that's gonna make uh, you know, fossil fuels a thing in the past. Okay. Yeah. So it's uh, essentially a, an environmental film. Sure. An environmental film with killing. <laughs> yeah, where the plants attack the people. An that's environmental right. film yeah. from back in the day when we didn't realize that burning oil was a bad plan. Right. Except for the fact that this oil, this trivet oil, is going to re- replace it. Um, you could watch this if you wanted to. You'd be all right. <laughs> I mean, yeah, yeah. It's the same thing with everything. You'll be mm. fine. You'll just be really annoyed that you watched Attack of the Killer Tomatoes all the <laughs> right. way through. All right, I would say I enjoyed it. Well, seeing as how you've watched three of its incarnations, I would hope so. Two. I didn't read the. Oh, I didn't read didn't the book. Read book. Okay. And I didn't watch the most recent miniseries. I started to watch it, but I was like, oh, I'm fine. I don't need to watch. What this. channel was the 2009 series on? I don't know. What's BBC the channel? or something. What do Triffids smell like? What do they smell like? Yeah. I don't know if that's addressed. All right. But they make a, they seem to communicate each other to each other with these, making these clicking sounds. Okay. These tapping sounds. They have little things mm. that tap, they tap themselves. Why did you like put your fingers near your nipples? Because that's that? what it looks like. Oh, okay. It looks like two, tweaking their two nipples. fingers punching their stem, their They're, stock. Okay. All right. Good yeah. times. Clicking noises. Triffids. I th- the most interesting part, really, is the degradation of society because everyone's gone blind. Got it. The Triffids, and, I, I kind of found annoying the, in a way. The Triffids didn't cause the blindness. No, they seemingly simply, unrelated. They're simply capitalizing on yeah. it. Like, this is the only way that they're going to get one up on the human race. Yeah, if, if without the blindness, there would be no <laughs> disaster. Yeah. Yeah. Like, we're being attacked by these plants. And I can see them. Let's walk, deal with walk it. Walk away. Yeah. Yeah. Just walk away. Good to know. It's such a weird feeling to know you're alive. It's such an awful feeling. You're dying inside. And when you wake up, startled to say, I hope I don't go crazy today. It's such a bad feeling. An ominous feeling. A feeling you know that we'll be back when the week is new. And we'll have more gross facts for you. And you'll have things you want to hear about. We will too. Caustic Soda was recorded by Mike Leeson while having his brain slowly devoured by tapeworm larvae. To comment on episodes and for links and show notes, visit causticsodapodcast.com. Support the podcast by donating on our site or visit patreon.com slash causticsoda. Visit us on Facebook. Tweet us on Twitter at causticpodcast. Email us at info at causticsodapodcast.com. I'm Derek Weber. Thanks for listening.